For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. Well, good morning. At this time, the kids are dismissed for Children's Church. That is... Uh, second grade and down for walking age and down. They can go on back with our awesome kids, volunteers. Well, if you haven't felt it this morning, it's been a little chaotic around here as uh, our our tech wizard, wizard, Ben, who's slowly making himself our MVP, our most valuable player, is uh, not here because he was sick this morning, but by God's grace, just text me a little bit ago. He is negative for coronavirus, so that's a huge woohoo. So we're all really excited about that. But just because uh, maybe coronavirus is calming down doesn't mean that flu season isn't still just having its way. And so that's where Ben was, and that made life just a little wonky for us this morning. And um, even as we're sitting there, Leland, I think I know how to make that video work, but oh well, in the moment, I missed it. So it's been a little crazy for us here uh, as we're doing these things. But it's still really good, and we're really glad to be here. So with that, let me just take a moment, let's stop, and let me just pray for us before we jump into our text for the morning. Tell you, Father God, we, we love you. We thank you for your kindness towards us. People who are so imperfect in so many ways, but yet you delight in us. Your love for us is just overwhelming and astounding. And God, I pray as we dive into the book of Titus today, God, that you would show us how your grace makes us good, how grace makes us a good people, and how the gospel grace is utterly life-changing. 
and how we might be able to dive in that with one another. And I ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So with that, I want to encourage you to open in your Bibles to the book of Titus. We kind of let you know that's what's happening um, this week. We're going to do something that's actually even new to me, so even bear with me and have grace with me, is I'm going to try to preach an entire book in the same amount of time that I preach any sermon. So we're going to go from Titus 1.1 to 3.15, and this is our last sermon in this series. We've been working our way through the book of Titus. We started at Titus 1.1 back in, I believe is August or September, and we're going to finish our first book together. And I am excited about that and also a little sad about that. I've really enjoyed walking through this book together and talking about what it means to be a local church. And and as we do that, I want us to look at the book as a whole. And so here's how I want to tackle that this morning. I want to make four observations just overall as the book. And so I'm going to just hit you with those. Boom, 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 boom. All four observations just broadly about the book of Titus. And then we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about three, I believe, to be really common misconceptions that Christians have. That, that I have had in my life, in my walk with Jesus, misconceptions just about the gospel and how it impacts us. And so those misconceptions, we're going to talk about a misconception just about the process of salvation and what it means to be a Christian. The misconception that I often think happens about the role of good works in the Christian's life. And then finally, a misconception of just what the Christian's purpose truly is. And those are things that I think we get off here and there in our lives. And then they impact a lot more than we realize. Uh, and so they feel maybe kind of high level or maybe even kind of basic things. But when we're off in those kind of ways, it actually plays itself out in life. And, and we just don't really know what to do with the gospel. We don't know what to do with things like should I be good? Why should I do the right things if I'm already saved by grace? And those kinds of things. And I think if we look at the breadth of the book of Titus and what it has to tell us, we can be brought a lot of clarity of what it looks like to be saved wholly of grace and by God alone, but also live in good works and do what God has called us to do and how those things work together and not apart from each other. And so that's what I want to do. So first, Four observations, right? How grace makes us good. That's kind of the title of the sermon as we look at the book of Titus, and I'm going to walk you kind of through the entire book now in just four observations. So the first observation that I want to look at as we see even in in Titus 1.1, the theme of the book. What is the theme of this book? What is this book teaching? I think it says it really clearly in Titus 1.1, and it says that Paul talks about being an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So what he is saying is when we know what is true about God and ourselves, it then makes us more God-like, more godly. We behave the way that God wants to behave. And that's the, t- the theme of the book of, of Titus, of, of how knowing God and knowing what God says about us, knowing the gospel and believing it, then impacts the way that we live. It actually changes who we are. Another way to say that in a really simple way is the title of the sermon, how grace makes us good. That if you're a Christian, you're literally changed and you're gonna change over time. So that's the first thing that we wanna see, that the knowledge of the gospel leads to good works. That's observation number one. Observation number two, a little less abstract, really concrete. The book of Titus contains seven to eight, depending on how you count them, behavior list is what I'm going to call them. So all throughout the book of Titus, we have these kind of lists of 
behave this way. Some of them are really specific, like for pastors or for older men or older women or younger men, younger men, bond servants, right? These really specific kind of lists. But then there's also some really general lists that are just for all Christians. We can think of like Titus 2.12 that tells us that we are being trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, but to instead be upright, holy, pure, right? Those kind of things. Really specific for for all Christians everywhere. And so you have these lists that we've got to deal with and what they look like. That's just observation number two is they're there. Observation number three is the book of Titus gives us examples of how Christian behavior that impacts three specific categories, the church, the world, and the desperate. And so the book of Titus, all throughout this book, we see that we get these kind of statements of what it looks like for our behavior and how it impacts the world, right? Whether that is, again, kind of more specific things, uh, we could think of like in chapter 2, verses 5, 8, and 10, all give these kind of statements. Verse 5 says, younger women, if you learn this way, live this way, the word of God will not be reviled. And then it tells us, listen, younger men, if you live this way, you will put the opponents of God to open shame. People who are scoffing the gospel and saying this, you will put them to shame. And then bond servants, if you live this way, you will adorn or decorate the doctrine of God. You'll be like an, a nice ornament. Remember we talked about a Christmas ornament, and I told you guys that story about the one of Brittany water skiing. If you remember that, like we ordain that, we ornament the gospel of God. We decorate it. We're a decoration for the Lord and what he, is, he has done, right? Or last week's sermon in Titus 3, 8, where it tells us, and if we do these things, and it's talking about those good works, they are excellent and profitable for people. And we talk about how that word people can mean, means everyone. It's excellent and profitable for everybody. So just again, the, the observation I want to take away is that Christian behavior impacts the world. That's what the book of Titus is just teaching us. And then finally, and I just want to say this one, and this is maybe the big thing that needs to overarch everything. The book of Titus teaches us that we are saved by grace alone. The scripture reading, I know it was long, but the reason why I had Kendall do that is because that gives two big chunks where Titus makes that really, really clear. And he uses this one word three times in that section there to kind of highlight that. If you guys remember, he uses the word appeared, which is where we get the word epiphany from. The Greek word sounds like the word epiphany. And like when you have an epiphany, it's just kind of this like awe-inspiring moment. It shows up. What Titus is, or what Paul is trying to show us in this letter is when God showed up, when God took the stage, when God was here, when he epiphanied, he radically changed everything because we are saved by grace alone, right? We, we talked about, and I had you guys do the call and response, right? God is good, God is kind, God is merciful, God is gracious, right? We did that back and forth. And so as you've been here, the reason why I wanted to tackle the book all together, because what I would hate to see happen for me and for you is we walk away from the book of Titus unchanged. We walk away from the book of Titus and we say, well, that was nice, next to the next sermon. And we have what, what I sometimes like to refer to as like drive-by sermons, right? Like pow, 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 hits you, but then like that's the it. We want to live this. We want this to radically change our lives forever. And that's what I want to try to do is bring your, your mind back to that. And so those are the big observations that I want to just take away from the book of Titus. Now the fun part. We got to turn that into a sermon. Okay, we've got to, somehow we've got to boil this down for something that you can take into life this afternoon and Monday morning and make that into a sermon. And that's where I think our three misconceptions can be helpful. And so misconception number one. We have a misconception in the Christian life often 
I, I have had this, I had this for a long time, about the process of salvation. What I mean by that is when the Bible uses the word salvation, we don't often think of it the way the Bible actually uses that word. Because when the Bible uses that blanket term salvation, it's actually talking about something uh, that is a process that's happening all throughout your life and even, even beforehand. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30. Because what I need to do before I say that is I need to prove from the Bible. And you, sh- you should want me to do this. You should always expect me to do this. If I'm going to make a claim like that, salvation is a process, Josh, you need to show that to me in the Bible. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll look at two passages, one in Titus, but the first one's in Romans. Romans 8, 29 through 30. So here's my evidence that salvation is, in fact, a process and less about a moment, but more of a process. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, that's the big picture of what God is doing. He is changing us into the image of Jesus in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then we're going to really hone in on this verse. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so there we see this process that's kind of laying out. We are predestined, we are called, we are justified, then we are glorified, right? We kind of see that happening, and and Paul is saying that really, really clearly. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. Now, I know even just saying the word predestined, and I just read it from the Bible, but I know it's squirming in your seats a little bit. We're not going to jump into that because I don't have time. I'm preaching an entire book in 45 minutes, all right? I don't have time to jump into that one today. But I just wanted to say, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep your eyes on the prize. And what am I I trying to prove? It's a process, right? Because I want to see how, I want to show you how Paul says the same thing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, For the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What I want to say is in Titus 1, 1 through 3, even though it presents itself in a little bit different order, and it's actually a little more convoluted, he's being a little more poetic, he's kind of having a more conversational thing, than that list that we saw, we can actually see those four things in Titus 1, 1 through 3. Right? So, so we say, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, being changed, the repentance of sin and then believing in faith is what we call justification. That is the moment that you are justified. So there's justification. For the, those who have been justified by faith, he is, he's saying now. And then we look, and for the knowledge of their elect, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life, that future hope. When we look back to Romans 8, verse 30, what's the future part? It's that glorified part. One day we will be glorified with Jesus. That's the future hope. That's eternal life that he's talking about. Which God who never lies promised before the ages began. That word predestined there in, in Romans eight thirty. That's what we're seeing happen in the book of Titus. He is promising before the ages began. He's the God who never lies. And once he starts this process, he's going to see it all the way through because he's the God who never lies. And he's promised that. And then at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. That's the called part. So we see that here. I just want to play that out for us, and, and I'll just kind of do that in my life real, real fast, right? What I'm saying is this. God, before I was ever aware, was working in my life. 
whether you want to use the word promised, predestined, whatever it is, that's what the scriptures say. God was working in my life before I even realized it. He was orchestrating events so that people then, because of those who were predestined, he then called, or like this tells us, preaching the gospel. God brought people into my life to preach the gospel. For me, it was when I was a child, even though my parents were not living for Jesus, I ended up in a Christian daycare, and at that daycare, a man named Wayne told me about Jesus. And I then, because God was moving those things and orchestrating them, and then he called me through the preaching of the gospel, through Wayne, and as he called me in that I was then justified by faith and repentance because when I heard the gospel, I believed and I accepted it. And now God is making me more and more like him over time. And one day, God is going to glorify me with his son, Jesus. I'll be conformed to the image of Jesus. And there's nothing that's going to stop that, right? He was working before I even realized it. He's working now in my life and he's going to finish that work at the end. That's what we want to see. And when the Bible uses the word salvation, it's actually talking about beginning to end. God working in your life before you had any idea what he was doing. I, mean, I don't know a Christian ever who heard the preaching of the gospel and said, yeah, I don't think God sent that person. I think they just did that. Like everybody knows when someone preaches the gospel to you that God was in that and he's a part of that. And that's his predestining work. That's his promise. That's what he's doing. He's moving in our lives. He's a good and gracious God. And then he's calling you through the preaching of the gospel. It actually has to happen. How can they how can those who uh, hear if they don't have a preacher? Romans 10 tells us it has to happen. And it's this thing, and I know a lot of times when we even talk about this stuff, we can, we can fall into these camps. What's hard about Scripture is Scripture kind of meets us here. Uh, the, the theological term is, is an antimony, which just means it seems like it contradicts. God is doing it and doing everything, yet people are doing things like, like preaching the gospel to you. You are still responsible to repent and believe in justification, but God's the one stirring in your heart behind the scenes where we can't see and warming your affections to himself. And God is going to preserve you to the end. But we know that that's where this, these lists start coming in, these good works, that I'm growing in them. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And then one day he's going to finish that work. Either when you die and you go stand before him or the coming of Jesus, those who believe in Christ Jesus will be glorified with him forever. We'll get new glorified bodies and we will be conformed to the image of the Son of Jesus and he will be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the promise of the God who never lies. That's salvation. What I'm trying to say is this. I think a lot of times in the West, I think the misconception we have is we treat salvation like a light switch when I would say it's more like a sunrise. What I mean like this is a lot of times we say like the light goes on and maybe the light can go back off. The light goes on and off and on and off and on and off in my life. And that's not what's actually happening, but rather God is growing you over the course of your lifetime. And what's another interesting thing about salvation and, and, and how it works in our lives is, is a lot of times, you know, the light switch is really easy to tell, like when the lights are off and they come on. Sunrise is a little more difficult. We can calculate it and we can know, but for those of us who are at the storage unit and it was dark outside and we're moving stuff around, if I said like, Kendall, what time was sunrise this morning? He would say, I don't know. It was dark and we were using lights to load stuff up and then it wasn't dark anymore, right? Unless he gets out his phone and uses that. And I would say experientially sometimes that's what faith is like in our lives. It's hard to know, according to the internet, the moment that sunrise actually happens is when the uppermost ray of the sun pierces the horizon, it's hard to experience that and, and sometimes be able to say, like, that's when it happened, right? But we all know the sun, when the sun comes up. We all know when it was once dark 
and now we can see. And for some people, not everybody, some people have a really radical kind of like Apostle Paul moment where he just like, Jesus is right there in that moment. But some of us, even like for me, like when I was a child, like that sometimes gets really fuzzy remembering that exact moment. I can kind of remember Wayne. I remember like, but here's what I know. I know it was dark and I know the sun is up now. That's what I know. And and in our culture, as it becomes more and more post-Christian, I am finding in my evangelism, people who come to know Jesus, it's more like that and it's less like a light switch. It's more like, man, when did you become a Christian? Sometime in the last three months. Like, what do you mean sometime? Like, I don't know, man, because I was really opposed to God. Like, you remember we had that conversation. I was really opposed to God. And then I just started getting less and less opposed to God, and light started to come. And next thing I know, man, like the sun was up, and, and I couldn't deny it anymore. And so I surrendered my life, and I followed Jesus because I just couldn't deny that the sun was up anymore. It, it's just there. And what I want to say is that that's, that's what salvation is often like in our lives, is, is we just kind of look back and we say like, you know, I have these ups and downs in life and it's really hard to kind of figure that out. But here's what I know. I know that the sun has risen. And I know that God was working in it beforehand because he's good and gracious and he brought these people into my life. And I'm just really glad and the sun continues to rise. And that's what we get to do. And so what do we need to know about that? What does that bring? What's our application point? Sometimes application points are just knowledge. Like you just need to know what God is doing in your life. I hope the application there is that you're comforted. For those of you who may be struggling right now, who've ever felt like, man, I just don't know if that I'm good enough. Am I really saved? Like, we're talking about how grace changes us, and then I don't really look very changed sometimes. What I'm saying is, listen, if God is moving in your life, the sun is up, and he's going to keep moving. So just take the next step with us towards holiness and towards doing what's right and what's good. Get involved in a local church. Take that next step and stop worrying about when's the moment. I got to make sure that, like, just walk, man. And, and I promise you at some point, the sun is up. And you, and you will be secure in your salvation. You will know, yeah, this is, this is right. I can feel its warmth and I feel its breath. But what then gets hard about this is then like, what do I do with these lists that show up in the book of Titus, right? If God is doing all the work, he's doing it before, he's moving the people around, he's bringing people to preach the gospel, it's, it's bringing new life and into me, and I feel that, and I just can't deny it. But then there's these lists about like how Christians ought to behave. And see, so our growth in, in, in godly works, it doesn't earn us salvation. It doesn't make the sun rise. God makes the sun rise. But our, our growth, rather, it is salvation just having its way in our lives. It's like the, the, the lists that are happening are like the heat from the sun, right? You feel it, and it's just un, undeniable. And as that sun gets higher and higher, the heat gets intensified. And you do more and more good works over time. And so w- our next thing is, what does it look like to have the misconception about the role of good works? I think what happens is, is I think sometimes we have kind of misconceptions on both sides of this. Either A, we say, I'm saved, holy of grace, God's done it all, and so I get to do what I want until Jesus comes back, and it just doesn't matter, and I can just live however I want. Or we swing to the other side, and we get really legalistic, and we're constantly in this fear of like, am I good enough? Am I impressing God? Am I doing all the things that God wants me to do? But I want to say the role of good works in your life is, is something different. And so I want to look at Romans chapter 7, 21 through 25. He says, So I find it to be the law that when I do right, evil comes close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Man, I read that and every time I think, Paul, I feel you. Oh, I resonate that. What he's saying in that kind of convoluted use of the word law 600 times in one little paragraph, he's saying is in his life he knows what's right and he longs to do the things that are right and yet there are times he does that which is wrong. He's saying, why do I do that? Why is it like, I know that this is wrong. I know that these things bring me misery. I know that they take me further away from God. And yet sometimes in my life, I just fail. I mess it up. Wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? But then he gives the answer, who's going to save me? Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to save me. That's who's going to deliver me from this peril. And so what I want to say, sometimes we read these lists of of behaviors that we are supposed to be walking in, and sometimes they're going to have that effect on us, and that's good. We're going to read the list, and you're going to say, I look nothing like that. I mean, I I actually made a chart of all the lists this week just so I can try to get them ahead. Guys, the one for pastor is a lot longer than everybody else's list. And there are times I read that and I think, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I'm always these things. I mean, this is intense. That is a long list. I feel the weight of that. And I have to run to Romans 7 and say, oh, wretched man that I am, but who's going to deliver me from such this peril? Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord, who's constantly having his way with me. He's making me look more and more like that list over and over and over again. That's what he's doing in our lives. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it tells us this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul, in that that letter to the Ephesians, he's telling us, listen, you are saved wholly by grace and grace alone. There's nothing that you have done that impresses God. Nothing that you do even now as a believer that God's going to look and be like, brownie points, right? Like that doesn't work like that. That's not what happens. God looks at us and he already loves you as much as he possibly can because he sees you wrapped in, in Jesus and his righteousness and you have his righteousness and not your own. Yet, Ephesians 2 also tells us that we were made for good works, made in his workmanship to reflect back the image of God. What I'm trying to say is this, is over the course of your lifetime, you're going to look more and more like these behavior lists. You're going to read them and you're going to say, man, I'm growing and I'm growing and I'm growing. To take me back to the sun illustration, the sun doesn't just rise, but it keeps on going in this life. What I want to say is that in your life, if you could trace it and look back, I guarantee you the sun just keeps raising. As a Christian, you're going to have these little ups and downs all throughout life. But you know what's awesome? Is it's probably doing something like this. A little up, a little down, a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down. But it's progressively just growing more and more and more in Christ-likeness. That's who we're doing. That when we believe in Jesus, we should be able to look back. Now here's the trick. A lot of us want to measure that in days and weeks. When you measure it in days and weeks, you're just hitting these little ups and downs and you just feel like, I'm never going to get there. But I want to encourage you, take a moment, measure it in months, years, and decades. And I really believe you would look over the course of your life and you say, wow, God is really doing a work in my life. As I was preparing the sermon, I started thinking about that in my life of 
what it looked like to become a Christian as, as a child and disobedient and, and wild, what it looked like then to be a, a middle schooler who was prone to lots and lots of peer pressure, gave into it over and over again, wanted to be the cool kid, abandoned God just to do that, only to then to go into high school. And, and, and I grew a little bit more. I, I started not caring so much what people think thought about me, right? So by the time I become a senior, I'm able to say in front of a large group of people, like, I'm a Christian. This is what this looks like. I had no problem with that. That was different than when I was in the eighth grade. But the problem then is I was still uh, just started to get into that know-it-all phase like most of us are when we're 18, right? I know everything about everything. And what really hurt me there is I went to Bible college, so I really thought I knew everything about everything and, and just arrogant and prideful. And then I got out of college and I realized, man, I don't know anything about anything. And I had some, and I submitted myself and humbled myself to some men in my life. And, and instead of going straight into ministry, I decided instead to take what ended up being eight years of my life. And I humbled myself to, and served another church. I took another job to do that. That's something I would have never done when I was 18. I would have been like, I can handle this. I'm going straight in. But by the time I was 22, God started to change me and show me, you have no idea what you're talking about, right? And I started to grow. And even in that course of those eight years, as God prepared me to be a pastor, I started to change. I became more and more merciful, more and more compassionate, more and more just chilled out. Anybody who served with me on the Paramount team would say, man, Josh is so high strung. But things are going crazy this morning and it's going to, and it's all okay. I'm not freaking out. Eight years ago, I think I would have been like hyperventilating in the corner. Ben's not here. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? But not anymore. And I'm not saying this anything about my life. I'm saying this to, to push the glory to the Lord. And I really believe if you would take just a moment and you would analyze your life over the last decade, and you would see, you would see incredibly similar things. I absolutely believe that about each and every one of you. And not because I think any of you are any of that great, because I certainly know that I'm not that great, but because God is great because I know that that's the way God works. He changes you over time. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do this week. Take 30 minutes to an hour and just sit down, maybe grab a pen and a paper. And I want you to think about the last 10 years of your life. I want to think about where you were 10 years ago, how committed you were to Jesus, what you were doing, the things that you were happening. And I want you just to walk through those 10 years of your life. And I want you to think about, and I just want you to sit there and you might just have to stop and worship the Lord. I did. Praise him for the work that he is doing in your life. Because that's the work that's had. That's the role of good works in our lives. That's what these lists are meant to do. Paul is trying to show us, look, man, you're changing over time. And you're changing little by little by little. Titus 3.8 tells us this. The saying is trustworthy. And he's talking about the gospel right before that. And I want you to insist on these things, to insist on the gospel, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. When you have a right view of the gospel and you see what God is doing in your life and how he's changing you by grace and grace alone, you will be careful to devote yourself to good works. And that's the work of the Spirit of God in you over time. He'll change you little by little by little and make you more and more like Jesus. And as we grow in our faith and the good works that it produces, our purpose becomes more and more clear. You see, we as Christians are made with an explicit purpose, but I think unfortunately we misunderstand it. So I believe it's our third misconception, the Christian's purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it really clearly. It says, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
of God. See, what happens so often in our lives when we talk about purpose, in American culture in particular, we immediately think vocation. What's your purpose in life? And we mean, what do I do that makes me money? And not even so much like that, right? I mean, we, particularly with my generation, my generation convinced if you don't just like absolutely love your job with everything within you, then, then you are just like living the worst life ever. Listen, sometimes work is just work. Sometimes the life doesn't just pan out the way you want it to pan out. But here's what you've got to understand. That isn't your purpose in life. As crazy as it is, God, my purpose in life doesn't get boiled down to being a pastor. It's not. My purpose in life is to whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, bring glory to God. Which meant when I worked at UPS and I loaded boxes, I loaded boxes to the glory of God. When I worked at UPS and I managed people, I managed people to the glory of God. When I went into sales, I had sales with integrity to the glory of God. And now that I'm a pastor, being a pastor means nothing if you don't do it to the glory of God. There are pastors who will pastor to the glory of themselves. They will make it about the growth of the church, what it looks like. That doesn't, that's not what we can do. We have to say, are we going to do what we do for the glory of God? Your vocation, what you're doing right now, or even what you do in your future is not your purpose. Your purpose is whatever you do in word or deed, whether you eat or drink, to do it all for the glory of God. So no matter what your vocation is, no matter what happens, that's your pursuit in life. I just want to honor and glorify God. Jesus says it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and then these things will be added unto you. Right? He's saying what you're doing isn't the most important thing when it comes to just the tangible, like whether you are, are working in a factory, producing something, shipping things, or working in a doctor's office, whatever, whatever it is. You're a teacher, you're whatever. That isn't your purpose. Your purpose in life is to bring honor and glory to God and no matter what you do, what the book of Titus shows us is that when we get our purpose right, when we see that we are made to glorify God, that it impacts three areas, the church, the world, and what I'm going to call the desperate. So first, the church in the book of Titus. We can think about the church is, is, is impacted by like the pastor's instruction. When the pastor lives the way that God intends him to live, when the pastor holds firm to the gospel, when he's not focused on himself, when the pastor's focused rather on God, it's to the benefit of the church. We say that Titus 1.9, that he is able to instruct and rebuke all so that we might all be sound in faith, that we teach other people. And it's not just limited to the pastor. Older men and women are told to instruct and teach younger men and women in the church, in the body, that that's what they get to do. Their teaching and their instruction helps the body of Christ. And that's what we want to look for. When I am living for what I'm living for, how am I benefacting the body, the church. How can I do that? The second thing we want to see is the world. The world is made better when you live for the glory of God. We, like I said earlier, whether that is the word of God not being reviled in chapter 2, verse 5, that was instructions given to younger women, or whether the instructions given to younger men, if they live the way that God wants them to live, the opponents of God are put to shame. Bond servants live the way they're supposed to live, verse Two, or chapter 2, verse 8, they adorn the doctrine of God. We see that again, uh, excuse me, yeah, uh, chapter 2 and verse 10, that's when they adorn the doctrine of God for those bond servants. And the other one, and we don't, we don't have this one here, and, and I'll uh, go ahead and, and read it for you because uh, we haven't jumped into these verses, but the desperate. And so look at, at, at Titus chapter 
3, verse 13 through 14. It says, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. What I want to say is this. I think what that helps us to see is, is Paul is kind of wrapping up. That's the last kind of thing that he says. And it's following the theme of the book, right? Knowledge of the truth leads to good works. Let our people learn knowledge to help people with urgent needs. That those words there for urgent needs, it might be referring to those missionaries that he was saying, make sure that they lack nothing. I actually think it's not. I think that word and is, is bringing up a different, it's like do this and this. I think that's, that's how that works out. But those words urgent needs, it just means things that are necessary, that are immediate, that people have to have, right? Food, clothing, that kind of thing, shelter. He's saying Christians are the people who are looking for those people and they're making sure that those needs are being met. Let our people learn so that they might go after what is right and good. Learn to devote themselves to good works. Why? Because they've seen the gospel of grace and they've been changed of it. And if they do that, they will not be unfruitful, but we will be fruitful instead. See, that's who we need to be looking for. And so as you look for like, okay, my purpose is to glorify God, but Josh, like, how do I do that? I want to encourage you to think in those three categories. How can I serve my church? How can I live in such a way that I'm adorning the gospel of God to the outside world? And how can I serve those with desperate and urgent needs? And those, that's how, that's how. So what happens, I think the misconception is we look at those things that I just listed which are the means to living out that purpose, and we say, oh, that's the purpose, right? That's not the purpose. The purpose is glorifying God, and then there's means to accomplish the purpose, and the means to accomplish the purpose is through the church, the world, and then serving the desperate in our lives. And as we look at that, we say, well, uh, you know, is is that really what Scripture teaches? Well, I want to look at the life of Jesus, what did Jesus do? If we just think about the Gospels and what happened in the Gospels, what did Jesus spend his time doing? And I want to argue that he spent his time looking at those three categories. The church, as he invested in his disciples, he would pull them off to the side, he would teach them things, he wasn't teaching other people, he would gather them around them, and he began to formulate these churches, and then he appointed the twelve to be apostles of the church. That is one of the things that Jesus did. The world. Jesus went and he taught in plains, in mountains, on boats, and all these things. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And he said, repent, for the kingdom is near. For people who are not yet Christians, the world. He said, you need to come to know Jesus. You need to come to know me. Come and, and, and take me. And then finally we see the desperate. You cannot read the Gospels and see that Jesus does not have a huge heart for the poor and the sick, the demon-oppressed. Everywhere you look, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, and he's preaching good news to the poor. Listen to what Jesus did in one of his very first sermons in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. He says, And he came to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to him, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That's the life of Jesus. He is proclaiming the good news to the church, to the world, and to those who are desperate. That's what he's doing over and over and over again. So what do you need to do? Be like Jesus. As Christians, we want to be like Christ. We want to do the things that Jesus would have us do. So what I want to encourage you to do today, I want you to encourage you to plug into a local church, to be a part of it, to commit yourself to it. Let them commit yourself to you. We are a local church. You can plug in here. If you don't like us, just plug in somewhere else. I mean that. I, that that's okay with me. Really. You've got to plug in somewhere. Because you, you cannot, you cannot live this Christian life alone. That's not the way God designed it to be. And you are not fulfilling that purpose of glorifying God if you ignore the means God has given you to do that. You cannot do that apart from a local church. Tell other people about Jesus. If you're here, you can really start one of those conversations by handing out one of those, those cards that we gave you and inviting someone to church. Because maybe they don't want to come to church. That's also fine. They probably want to talk to you. And I'm just trying to give you an opportunity to get your foot in the door. If they don't show up here, I trust you. Share the gospel with them. Talk to them about that. We're just trying to equip you to do that. And finally, especially in the holiday season, there's usually lots of ways we can do this. But seek to meet the needs of urgent needs. Look out. Keep your eyes open to the people around you. And when there's urgent need, ask how the Lord might use you to fill that. Because I think that's who we are to be as Christians together. So there it is. That is the book of Titus in one sermon. <laughs> Ready? I want to wrap up. Uh, I want to say one this and so that some of us aren't caught off guard next week. We get to do something that is really, really great next week. Something that we as a church body have never done before. And we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're probably going to do that as so we still continue to look at this crazy COVID world that we live in. We'll probably do is set up like a table here. And if you've experienced the Lord's Supper and in, uh, in this age, you've got these nasty little things that have juice in them that will never go bad in a wafer that is, will last through the apocalypse. One day, maybe by God's grace, we can really celebrate the Lord's Supper and get some real bread in here and some like actual Welch's juice or something. But for now, you have, I don't know, like storage unit style wafers. That's just where we are. That's the world we're in, but we're going to celebrate the Lord with it. And we'll probably dismiss you one at a time so that no one else is touching stuff that you're going to put in your mouth. And so that'll be laid out, and we'll make sure that we do that in a sanitary way um, when it gets laid out. And that we, so we won't pass, pass things out in that way. So that, that's what's going to happen next week. I'm going to preach next week on the Lord's Supper so that before we take it, we, we know what's going on. But I do want to say this just primarily about it. This, this study of the book of Titus, we gave a subtitle of Becoming a Faith Family. And that's what we get to do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so we get to do that. And what we're saying is everybody who takes part in that is saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He lived the perfect life that I could not live. He died the death that I deserved to die. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And in that, we get to celebrate that together. And if you believe those things, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper here. Okay? Um, that's, and I'll talk about that more next week. But as we look to do that, and as we wrap up this thing, I just want to say again what the local church really is. The local church looks more like a family than it does a business. The local church is, the Christians were calling each other brother and sister for a long time, right out of the gate in the first century. Why? Because they saw that this is like a family. 
And that's what we want to look at. As we look at this book together, and we even talk about those misconceptions that I talked about today, you're not doing it alone. That's the great thing about the local church. That's why we plant churches. That's why we want to do all the things that we are doing. Because we don't want you out there living alone. That's not God's purpose for you. That's not what God has for you. He has a local church, and we get to do that. And so we're so excited that we get to be a part of that here in this community. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, what a great time to do that, too. Thanksgiving weekend. What an awesome way to do thank, uh, give thanks for our salvation together. And then our launch service happens December 5th. So be inviting to that. Um, if it's me and Brittany here alone on that day, it's okay, because we're going to celebrate Jesus. I'm not really sure. I know she's coming. I hope all you are, too. But... Yeah, she, she said, I don't know. We have three kids now. Life's a little crazy. But I really want you to come uh, to that service. Nothing special happens, to be honest. We're going to do the same thing we want to do. We're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to pray to Jesus. And we're going to preach Jesus. But what an opportunity for you to invite people. If there's anybody who has been here that hasn't come back, I want to encourage you. That's a great way to, to let them know. And that's what we want to do. As always, I'll be in the back during our last song. If you have any questions about the sermon this morning, questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we're there. We want to talk to you. We'd love to chat with you about that more as we sing and worship together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you um, for this morning and for everybody who came together. Um, and we pray for, for those who are not able to make it um, because they are sick for Ben and for Eden as well. God, we pray that you would uh, bring healing to their bodies, that you would keep them um, safe. And Lord, that we'd be able to join together and uh, commune with one another next week. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand and continue to worship together.